Welcome to episode 259 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 259 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is actor Camille Iyanga Selenge. Camille, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, how how are things? How are things with you during all of everything right now? <laughs> all of the COVID, everything. Um... Everything. There's just like it's 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 beyond COVID at this point. It's like just the everything. Yeah, yeah. Everything. You know what? It's been pretty good. Um, my friends and I joked about this being like our only retirement that we'll never get. <laughs> So we're just taking advantage of it as if, you know, this is the time off that we normally would not get in the theater business. Mm. Um, so I moved home actually from Stratford to Ottawa for this little period mm. here. Um, I came home to my childhood home, which is always lovely and strange at the same time. Um, and I've just been, I spent like the first few months just taking care of myself and, uh, not really doing much, like making sure I wasn't focused on keeping up um, any type of work style or anything. Uh, and yeah, and then I summer came and things were lovely and now summer's leaving me and I'm so sad. <laughs> but, mm. but it's been pretty good. It's been um, a good time, good time for mental health, a good time for taking care of my body because um, we were doing heavy, heavy dance rehearsals. So this was, it's been a good six months or so. Mm. So you were like getting ready to, were you, you were like gearing up for a season in Stratford when everything happened? Yes. Yeah. I was rehearsing for Sam a lot and Wendy and Peter at the Stratford festival. And the day that everything happened, like, I think it was like March 17th or something. Um, we all showed up at our, the Avon theater to um, get in the building to start rehearsals at, you know, nine fifty, and the doors were locked and we were like, Hello? <laughs> what's going on? And then we got an email saying, hey, guys, this is what's happening. Everybody go home and we're just going to like let you know what's going on soon. But everybody just go home. Um, so that was kind of the first time it hit was not being able to get into the theater, which was such a strange thing to have like 10 performers waiting outside in March, like which is so cold in Stratford. Um, yeah. Finding out that their lives are on hold. Basically, that was like the first day. Yeah, it's it's funny because I used to, yeah, I did. Uh, I worked at a call center at one point, and occasionally somebody's card would would malfunction, the door would be locked, and somebody would say, "Oh, are, am I fired?" <laughs> and so it's like it's sort of like you show up for rehearsal and the door's locked, and you're like, "Are we all fired? What's going on?" Yeah, because we're using our own codes too. Like you, ha you have your own code to get in, and so that first person that typed it in was like, "Wait, do I not 
work here anymore? Is that <laughs> what's going oh, on? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um at what point did it did you realize that that like this is it? I guess I'm going home. Um like back home. Yeah, my mom had been she had been paying more attention because uh she lives in Ottawa, so things were happening quicker here. Um, and she had been messaging me for about a week, just saying like, are you coming home? Are you coming home? And I'm like, no, I have a job and I'm having a really good time. So I'm not going to, you know, drive six hours and I can't leave. Like there's no, uh, nothing Mm. had said yet. And then we started having conversations about safety and stuff. And, um, the festival took really great measures to make sure that we were continuously like taking care of ourselves and washing our hands and doing all that stuff. And then, um, that first day that we stayed at home, we were just like, okay, let's just see what's happening. Uh, but I had this feeling that things were about to come to a halt because I, I knew that we were safe in Stratford. Um, and I hope everyone, you know, everyone's been saying they're still pretty safe there, uh, that no cases have really happened there. But I had a feeling that we couldn't gather if places weren't allowed to gather more than five people in a building, then there was no way we were going to have 35 people in a rehearsal hall. And so I, I kind of jumped to those conclusions pretty quickly just to um, come to terms with it so that I wasn't stuck in like panic mode. Um, I feel mm. like I do that often. That's kind of how I function. And I feel like it helps me get through actually changing uh, cities a lot, changing, you know, changing my environment is just, I, I see what's coming next. And I'm like, okay, this is the thing we're doing. And for me, I think, pretty quickly after that first day I was like I don't think I'm going back to work anytime soon I didn't know if mm. I was gonna, um if it was going to last a really long time but I was like I'm going to be at home for at least a month or a bit so let me just wrap my head around that and just think of like okay what day do you want to move home what day do you mm. how much are you bringing with you because my whole life was in Stratford at the house that I was living in mm. um I also have a dog so it was like okay what can we fit mm. with our pup in the front seat <laughs> um yeah, so I think I, I thought about that pretty quickly and then made the decision after they had to, um, we had the big phone call where they let us know what was happening and that things would be on hold for a while. Um, I thought I was going to stay in Stratford and just say, okay, I'm going to play it out and stay here for like two months. And if we're not back by two months, then I'll come home. But after about half a week, I, or sorry, a week and a half, I realized that it would be smarter for me to go now. And then just take that time at home that I would never get, honestly, and come back when they let us know that they're ready to come back. Hmm. I think for me, in all of this, the moment where I realized, no, this is big, mm-hmm. was when Broadway shut down. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I remember. And that. at that point, I was like, okay, this is going, this is big. This is affecting everything. Yeah, that's because that's never happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a big day. That was, we were, I think we were learning a tap number that day. So our brains were already like a complete mess. And I remember mm. everyone on their phones at the same time, just like, I, I also have friends because I um, had worked on Broadway for a bit. So I had a bunch of friends in Mormon, in Book of Mormon that had messaged me being like, so we're not <sighs> going back to work today. We just <sighs> got told that we, we don't have a show tonight and they don't know when we will be coming back. Um, and yeah. that was, so surreal. Mm, absolutely. Well, especially, I mean, it's like 
for me, not knowing people on Broadway, it's it's a it's an esoteric, it's a ephemeral thing. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, Broadway's shutting down. Mm-hmm. But when you know people, that's and I guess that was like a foreshadowing of everything shutting down everywhere as far as theater goes. Absolutely. Yeah. I think once once Broadway lays down those rules and you know, like the government, the the Ontario government, I would say, was pretty I found they were pretty good with like, okay, we're just going to close everything down. I know some people um, talked about how it took too long, but it's a tricky thing. I don't know. We don't know the logistics. We don't know what it's like to decide that you're going to um, shut down everyone's life for 30 days or, you know, like, so I, I couldn't really complain about it, but I know that once that happened, it was a sign for all theaters to be on watch of like what's coming up for them because Broadway's kind of like it's ever going. It's when would Broadway shut down? So if Broadway can't stay open, then why would we be able to stay open? And their theaters are honestly, the theaters aren't as um, like they're not as big as ours. So if we're talking yeah. about the person count, um, we have some theaters that are like, you know, an 1800 or 1600 seat theater, whereas the theater that I was working in was like 11 or 13. So if it's about how many people can be in that building safely we're definitely not staying open well it was like um and i still feel this way that that like as we're sort of opening in some theaters like we can fit 50 people in the building and i'm thinking you know every show i've ever been in Mm -hmm. in the audience for as the lights go down Mm -hmm. people cough and that act has changed yep now there's no way that just like somebody coughing is just like a thing that you brush off. Yeah, people, I mean, even walking down the street if, or like going to a store, if someone coughs around you, we've, I mean, there's all those memes about it, about people staring at each other. You can't sneeze, you hold in everything. But in mm. the theater, like I remember during Billy, we would laugh about, so for some reason in Little Shop, people didn't cough that much. Like we didn't hear the coughing and the sneezing a lot, but in Billy, we heard so hmm. much coughing just the way the theater is um shaped i guess you could just hear everything hmm. and just thinking about that happening like that wouldn't be no one would feel safe no people would hear that like coughing every three seconds and no one would feel safe and also those people would be terrified to cough which might incite worse yeah. coughing worse you know reactions yeah it's it's a terrible situation i think it's going to be you know, I, I, unfortunately, we all know that that the theaters are essentially going to be the last thing to open. Absolutely. Um, partially because once everything gets the go ahead to open back up again, mm-hmm. it's going to take like six months to get theaters with shows in them. Yeah, and I think um, honestly, I I love like I love theater. I love what I do, and I am okay with not being able to do it in order for it to be safe to go back to it. Like I am in no rush to put, to trial 50 people in a theater um, and trial us Mm. coming back like to rehearsals just for people to get sick because there's currently no vaccine that's out. Um, Yeah. So if we're just testing it out, we're just going to be like, okay, everybody, you know, you, you, we're going to do a show for two weeks. And you just can't see your family for like, you know, those that three week rehearsal period and all those rules that they have to set in place for us to all stay safe. Um, and we're going to, you know, screen people, ask them questions at the door and all that trial stuff that they have to do. Like, I 
want it to be, I know it can't be 100% safe, but I want it to be as safe as it possibly can. I don't want to go back because I miss doing my job. I miss it all the time, I, but yeah. I would rather people be safe and healthy. And I would rather my family, my friends, my coworkers be safe and healthy than just run back to work because, um, because we, we miss it that much. Like it's, yeah. it's a terrible thing, but it's kind of like a smarter reality, I think. Absolutely. And it's one of those, those, one of the interesting and unfortunate things is that like you could be exposed to it mm-hmm. and because the person is asymptomatic, you may not know for several mm-hmm. days that you've been exposed to it. So you could be passing it around and not know. Absolutely. So all this taking temperature and stuff is not a, is not a fail, is not, uh, is not foolproof. It's, it's, you know, we have to, we don't want to put a large number of people in an enclosed space yeah. where a bunch of, uh, of other people on stage breathe at them intensely mm-hmm. for yeah. two hours. And I recently, um, someone had posted maybe two weeks ago or so, someone had posted an article about how um, talking is no worse than uh, singing, doctors were saying. Mm. And they're like, I, I, you know, I hope we get to come back to work and this is like such a great thing. And I'm like, okay, but they're not saying... <laughs> that it's safer. They're not saying that this is like everybody get back to work. They're saying it's no worse if you sing quietly. Also, I read the whole article. It was like, if you, the louder you sing, the harder you sing, obviously you spit and you know, Um, but it's not saying it's safer. It's just saying that it's not worse. And I really, really hope that our artistic directors that like the people that are really in charge of our well-being, because the, once they say, hey, we're coming back to work, we're going to bring it like we're going to open up auditions again and bring everybody back. Um, people will come like performers will be like, I miss doing this. I also like living right now is very difficult. I imagine even with CRB, yeah. um, I don't know what people's situations are like. I'm very fortunate to be able to come home and mm-hmm. have a have a home that like my mom's like not asking me to pay rent while I'm home you know I'm but people don't have that and people yeah. will come back to work and we're just supposed to hope that like our artistic directors and producers have really paid attention to what's being said and aren't just um seeing these articles and being like great we can go back look singing isn't as bad it's like, <laughs> I read the whole article and it ended with when you're in choirs or when you're in groups it is unhealthy for the people. Like it's obviously unsafe for the people on the stage. I'm like, that is an important fact to pick up when you are reading that article. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't go by the headlines, you guys. Um, There's, (laughs) and you know, that's what we tend to do. We see, we, a lot of people don't read past the headline. Yeah. Um, It's interesting because, you know, as a, as a performer myself, I don't feel safe going to a theater. I don't feel safe being on a stage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because, because, you know, there's a bunch of people who are breathing and, and all of that stuff. And we're all in this enclosed space. And I think audiences judging from generally what I see where people are still kind of avoiding each other. Yeah. Um, I don't think people are going to be in any rush to jump back into the theater. Yeah. I, uh, I'm a huge movie person. Like I'm, I love film. And the movie theaters have opened and the thought of sitting in a space with recycled air 
um, while people are eating and people laugh and comment and like, yes, you can pick your seats and you can be socially distanced and, but you're, but masks aren't mandatory if you have popcorn, if you're, you know, and like, who's going to put their masks back on when they're done popcorn because no one's paying attention. Like that alone um, scares me so much <laughs> right now. Just that thought of being in a theater that you can, you know, um, that's trying to do their best to take, like take care of us and protect us. Um, I have, yeah, I have no desire. If I knew a show was up, I'd just be like, is it worth it? Like, is it, yeah. is it worth it for me to do that? Um, which is such a difficult conversation to have with yourself when you're in theater, because you want, I know that half of, I've had conversations and some people are like, some people don't care. Like some people are like, I'll wear my mask. I'll socially distance. I miss theater so much. I just want to see it. Like bring me, if you open up the theaters, I will show up. Um, some people are really supportive and, or also just don't have as much fear of um, what could happen. Yeah. And then the other half are just kind of like, I'll wait till there's a vaccine. I'll wait till it's safe. I'll wait till it's a smart thing to yeah. do. I'm not just going to, I've been, we've been living this way for six months and we have more liberties now than we did in the beginning. So I think that extra push of um, being able to go to the theater instead of just seeing it through videos and stuff, I, I think that'll take more than just them being open and saying, we think it's yeah. safe, so please come. Um, yeah. And I think that even those people who, who are just like, if they open, I'm going, I don't know there's enough of those to make it financially viable. No. To yeah. throw open the doors. Yeah. You know? That's the other part of it is I I have been lucky enough to work in such amazing caliber um, companies and theaters that we have to consider like what will it take for us to, or for the theater companies to hire, you know, 20 people, like it's probably not going to be 20 people. Um, to put on what caliber of show because what budget will they have based on mm -hmm. the revenue that they're and how high will the tickets have to be in order for them to make any money to even even if it was like non-for-profit like if they just said we're not going to make money we just want to make theater so we need to balance it out like what is that amount that you have to pay your mm -hmm. actors that you have to make tickets um and, and what quality of work will you be able to do? Like, obviously, the acting, the singing, the quality of the physical work will be brilliant and the art will be brilliant. But um, there were, are there are things that will suffer. There's also, with that amount of money, it's like when you have your backstage workers and the safety and all that stuff, that might suffer as well, depending on what your budget is. Like, you might have less people, you know, um, less dressers, less different different things that uh run a show mm. right now we might be lacking in that because there are cuts that will have to be made um to make it viable yeah. it's interesting though because i was just talking a little while ago with um the director of the saint john fringe the fundy fringe festival and they went ahead with a hybrid in-person slash digital Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 fringe festival mm -hmm. and it's, you know, they're in the Maritimes and there's, they're able to open a little bit more, but they found that even as they were halving, halving the size of their house, mm -hmm. they required more staff 
to keep people safe, to remind people, this is how you're going to go up the stairs. You can't take the elevator. You can sit over here. Please follow this path. The washrooms are over here. Please do this. Like, please wear your mask. Like there, you need to double the front of house to keep people safe. Yeah. I even like, and that's just not financially viable either. Yeah. You, you, you absolutely would. Yeah. That's totally something like if you think of the, even just retail or the grocery stores that we go to, um, that they have greeters and they have cleaners and they have people doing all these jobs that didn't exist before the pandemic that are mandatory now in order for people to feel safe and in order for it to actually be a safe place. And that is, that's more jobs. You might bring down the rate of pay, but you are still hiring more people and that's more money. Mm-hmm. I'd like to take a, a step away from the <laughs> quarantine times that we're living in. And yeah. uh, I I want to talk a little bit about your theater origin story. What was your first exposure to theater? And yeah. how did you discover that this was something you wanted to make your life's work? I have like such a, I feel like a crooked line of theater origin story because I am... I have loved dance. Like I feel like dance is my first love from birth. Like I, my family is a very music dance driven family. Um, And so I was taking Afro-Caribbean dance. I did it pretty much all of my uh, childhood, teenagehood. Um, And when I was like, I think I was 16 or so, I took technical dance. I decided I want to expand that. And I took some ballet and I did, um, competitive for a couple years but theater and acting and singing like terrified me I was so scared it was it's such a vulnerable place I found that I didn't I didn't have that same fear with dance there's something about it that um I don't know there's something about it that the expression of it doesn't give me the same amount of nerves um and so in high school my high school theater teacher, I wasn't in theater, I didn't take acting, I didn't take any vocal lessons or anything. Um, He's just like, I think you should try out for the play, like you're a dancer, and I feel like you would have a lot of fun to try out for Pirates of Penzance. And I did. And so I did that when I was 16. I was part of that show. And then the next year was Hamlet, I believe. And I was like, oh, I can't act like I can't be a part of that. Um, No acting. (laughs) So I didn't audition for the next year. And then my graduating year of high school, they were doing Grease. And he was like, I think you need to come back and you need to audition for the show. I have a part for you. Just do it. Um, meanwhile, I'm studying all sciences, all maths. I want to be a psychologist because <laughs> I want to study psychology as a science. Zero acting, zero like art, anything besides dance um, on the side. And so I audition. I get the part of Rizzo uh, in Greece. I had the time of my life. I had the best time. And when it was over... Mm-hmm. Um, I had already applied to psychology as a science program um, at Ottawa U. So I was accepted. I had that all put away. Um, It ended, the show ended in like March, I think. And I was really sad for a while. Like I missed, I missed the backstage culture. That's a lot of fun. I missed rehearsals. I missed um, playing around. I missed singing on stage. I didn't know I would miss it. Um, And so I had a little talk with my mom and I was like, hey, I think I'm going to audition for theater schools next year I don't think I want to go to psychology um to the psychology program and she's like well you have a scholarship so you're gonna go for a year <laughs> you're gonna do the thing um but I will still let you audition to these other programs but you will go to school next year and I was like okay 
and she was fully supportive. She like, she is a, she's an arts person too. She has, uh, my mom has sung like quietly all her life, but she, she can sing. And she always took me to dance and took me to my competitions and um, was so supportive during the shows in high school. But she also uh, wanted to make sure that I knew it was something I wanted to do. And it wasn't just like a sudden change. So that's why she made me, not really made me, but she asked me to continue um, in the psychology program just for a year. And it could only benefit me. She said I could, you know, transfer Mm -hmm. those courses over if I switched over into a different program. Um, So that was kind of the, I guess, Greece was the inciting incident into me realizing that musical theater was something I loved. Um, that acting wasn't as terrifying as I thought it was, that singing on stage would only make me nervous before I touch the stage because I feel like I, I turn into a different person when I'm on stage. Um, and I auditioned to York for dance. I auditioned to Ryerson for dance. And I auditioned to Sheridan for musical theater. And uh, But I knew that Sheridan was where I wanted to go just because I had a previous, like a, a person who was older than me from my high school that had gone there and he had just said so many wonderful mm. things about it. And I was like, okay, that's the program I want to get into, but I'll audition to these other programs just in case um, there's, you know, to have other options. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's where I got accepted. And I was like, great, this is where my future is. Like I, I will, I love psychology still. Um, I think I will return to it at some point in my life because I do have a love for it. And um, I have a love for therapy. I really want to um, mainly help people in theater with therapy. I think mm. coming from theater and knowing what we put ourselves through and watching what my friends um, have battled with, I would love mm. to be able to help them or help future people with that. Um, and I mm. think it would help that I know what we, what we put ourselves through while I help them with that. Um, oh, sure. Because if you, if you, if you are going to a new psychologist or, or a therapist yeah. and they don't have any experience with the arts life, with the theater life, yeah, you may have to spend more time explaining what's normal in your workplace because they don't understand it. Which can already be um, a deterrent for going to therapy. Just thinking, you know, mm. um, I would love therapy, but this person, like, they won't really get why they'll try to understand, but they don't really get exactly where I'm coming from because the theater world is so specific. The film and TV world too, like they, you know, they're very specific on um, certain things that trigger us and what we spend our time doing. Like, if you really think about it, we have put ourselves in a position where we are uh, put in front of a group of people that we hope... (laughs) will love us every day. And even if they love us, we might not get the job. Like they could love us and be like, you're so wonderful, but this is what we're looking for. And we just yeah. have to like move on and just carry on and go, okay, and the next one's tomorrow at 10 a.m. And the next one's five minutes later. And we openly ask for critique on our work. Um, we we have to, in order to become better, we have to have our directors, you know, let us know uh, different things that we can do to make our work better. And that is not a position that many people have to put themselves through in other uh, forms of employment. And so I think- No, and in in a lot of places of employment, that's the thing you would actively avoid. (laughs) Having to apply for a job every, uh, you know, three months, it's not something people really want to do at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. Nobody wants to do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we do it. We chose it and we do it. And yeah. we're like, yeah, yeah, this is great. This is healthy. This is totally natural. I love it. Um, so you made a very like sudden shift from, um, the, uh, from going to the like, psychology, psychiatry, like studying psychology, um, mm-hmm. to the arts and that a lot of people don't make like a, a change quite that quickly. Um, <laughs> Aside from your mother sort of giving you the, the laying her, like, like putting her foot down and saying you're going to go to school and study yeah. psychology because you have this scholarship, did, was there any other pushback? Not really. Um, my, like, she did it with full support of me still auditioning for um, schools and, and mm. knowing, like, she tells me, I always knew you could do it. I always knew that that was something you would love, but I needed you to want to do it for yourself. Um, and besides that conversation, like my family was all for it. My, um, I didn't really have much in my way of, you know, going down that path. Uh, I'm pretty lucky in that no one, there was no real pushback anywhere. Um, and it was a really quick switch, but I know this is part of my like personality. It might be part of my Virgo personality. I don't know. But when I make a decision to do something, when I believe that I can do something, I just go for it. If it doesn't Mm. work out, it's fine. But I'm not someone to like tiptoe into things, hoping that they turn out well and just, and keeping my foot somewhere else. Um, I will often make really bold statements. And my brother always tells me that I I have like LeBron James energy or like Michael Jordan energy where I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to get my degree here. I'm going to do this. And or, my mom said, like, when I was leaving Sheridan, I would just say, people would ask me, what do you want to do when you, you know, you'll have your musical theater degree? What are you going to do with it? And I was like, oh, I'm going to be on Broadway. Like, I think I'm going to figure out a way to like, you know, audition for Broadway shows and I'm going to get on Broadway. And I was 19, 20 at the time, just casually thinking Broadway was like this uh, super attainable, like easy, easy thing, <laughs> especially it's a different country. That's the other part of it. I, but I didn't see, um, I didn't see obstacles in my way. I was just like, it will happen at some point. And that's like, that's something I want to do. Or I would say I will, you know, Shaw and Stratford festivals are really um, wonderful places that I've seen theater. And like, I will work there at some point. And those are the places, this is before I even left school. Um, so that's kind of the energy. My, I must have a, I do have a very supportive mom. And I think she knew how to make sure that I always believed I could do the things I wanted to do with work. It was never, mm-hmm. you can just have everything. It was like, you put in the effort, be smart about what you're doing and you can have that thing. Um, and yeah, that was the energy. I feel like I went into uh, switching careers with. Um, which I feel has been a pretty good, a pretty good switch so far. <laughs> pretty good choice. Well, I mean, as uh, you know, you're talking about going to like knowing that you were like being so confident that you'd be on Broadway and you went to Broadway pretty quickly after graduation. I did. I did. And as much as I say, I have that energy of like, I'm going to do this thing when it happens, I'm still on the floor, like so excited. I uh, I booked Book of Mormon, I think, three or four months out of school. And 
first I went to Chicago. I was joining the second national tour of Mormon. So I went to Chicago first, but that was still like, what is my world? I don't even understand what's happening. Um, and I remember getting a phone call from my agent after being with the second national tour for a year. And he called me at like 9 a.m. And he was like, hey, do you um, do you have any friends with like apartments or stuff in New York? Because you're going to need to like find a place there and need a place for a while. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, and he's like, oh, well, they're wondering if you want to go to Broadway in a couple of weeks. And the even though I had said it so many times, like this is where I'm going, the shock, the excitement, the like unbelievableness of it all still hit me the same way. And it still does when I talk about it, like when people, you know, ask me and I'm like, I know it's, yeah, it's a real thing. Like I went to that place <laughs> and I worked so, on that I place. Mean, and I had fun there. Yeah. And when, uh, when, when your agent says, you know, would you like to go to Broadway? I mean, does anybody say no to that? I mean, I it's know, Broadway, I right? They love, they love playing those, like it's the sweetest game. Like they know the answer. They know what, what I'm going to say, but um it's such, yeah, that question is like, who says no? Like, when would I make the choice to be like, no, thanks. I'm, I mean, I was very happy where I was. I loved my cast so much. Um, I always say they raised me. I feel like I grew up so much in Chicago for that first year. And um, I still talk to them to this day. Like, we're very good friends. Um, and I was very happy where I was. But I was like, yeah, no, I'm going. Absolutely. When do I pack my bags? Like, <laughs> I'm out. Um, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Well, I mean, for me, you know, as a kid, I can remember listening to uh, Broadway musical soundtracks or cast recordings. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really my, my theater gateway. That sort of started me on the path was that here's these songs, but they tie together and they tell a story. Um, yeah. And then you go to, you see it on stage. And that was my entryway into the theater. And so with that, yeah. like the whole Broadway thing, that's like, clouds parting angels singing you know <laughs> yeah but I you know what I find that I feel that way about almost everything that I do in theater like I remember um when they asked me if I wanted to go to Australia and as terrifying as it was to think okay I'm going to be a 16 hour time difference from my entire family and friends um and across the world I still like the butterflies that I get from being asked to join a company of anything. When I found out I got Stratford, when I found out I, um, cause I did Greece, like was the, Greece was the first show I did back from Australia, um, back in Canada. And I remember coming back home thinking, I really hope I work. Like I, I really hope. And my friends were like, are you joking? Like you just worked in a huge company for five and a half years. I'm like, yeah, but I just really hope that like, I'm, I can still get jobs and that like people still want to hire me because no one knows me. And I, and that, that was genuinely my mentality coming back home. And when I got Greece, I was like, mom, like I was just so excited. <laughs> um, and then when I got the panto, I was so like, every time I get um, jobs that I really want to do, I like the excitement is the same. Yes. Broadway was like excitement and disbelief. I think I, I have a little bit of less, a little bit less of disbelief when um, I just have excitement when I get like yes. jobs. Um, but, but yeah, Broadway was like, are you sure this is real? Like, this is a thing that's really happening. I get to say this. And I get to um, but I still get like crazy nervous for auditions and I still get insanely excited when I find out I book something. It is, 
Um, I hope it never leaves me. It's, mm. it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting to have those range of, range of emotions every time. Um, yeah. Like the other day I found out I was on hold for a commercial and my dad's like, it's a hold. We won't know if da 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 da. And I'm like, that's okay. It's a hold. Like, it's my first hold because I hadn't been auditioning for commercials for a while. And I was like, this is exciting. Like, I, I went and told my mom and I texted my cousin. I was like, I'm on hold. This is great. <laughs> um, I still get really excited for everything that I get to do. Yeah. That's great. Did, did you find that um, having Broadway on your resume opened mm-hmm. doors in Toronto? You know what? I I can't tell. I think it may, I think like someone reading my resume, perhaps um, a casting director might have seen that and thought, yeah, we'll invite her in or something. Like I, Mm. it's not on the level that I can tell because um, I auditioned the same way. I went through like the same process as everybody. I feel like when I walked in the room, no one really brought it up as a, oh, you were on Broadway. They, They might be like, you were part of Book of Mormon. How was that for you? Or how was that experience? Um, but it didn't, yeah, I just felt like it didn't, um, do anything. Like it didn't open any doors that I didn't know were already open. Um, which, you know, that's only from my side of things because my agents might Mm -hmm. say something else. They might say something completely different, but from my side of it, I just feel like I came home and I was, I felt like I was working just as hard as I would have if I had been working in Toronto for the past five years instead of in New York. I think that generally that's kind of a a good thing to have happen. I think it would do something to your brain if suddenly people were openly treating you differently because you were on Broadway. You might carry yourself into the audition in a way that really sort of changed you as a person. Yeah, I would never, I would never want that. I think, I do think some people, um, can have that like if you go abroad for a while and you're working in you know what I will say that maybe it carried in the way that I when I worked not in my auditions mm. but the the company of Book of Mormon treated me so well and they taught me what I was worth as an actor like what mm. I deserved um how I got like there were special you know special um days where we had ice cream trucks outside. I'm not saying companies need to give me ice cream trucks. I'm just saying they really treated us well. And they told us what, like, thank you guys. Thank you so much for your work. And um, I had mics that were the color of my skin and I had uh, dressers who really took care of me. And so I had Hmm. all these experiences of goodness that when I came back to Canada, I was like, Hey, I know what we deserve. And so when I see something that was off, I would say something. Um, I know that some of the rules are different. Like one thing that we had on Mormon was we have um, resident directors, which are not common in a lot of Canadian theater. They have the Mm -hmm. stage managers that kind of keep the show running and and give you notes and stuff. And so that was a little bit of a change because I, I didn't know that. And I think I witnessed like a stage manager coming in and giving an actor a note. And I was like, do you want me to say something? Like, that's not allowed. Do you want me to, do you want me to go? <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 that's, that's normal. And I'm like, what do you mean that's normal? Do I have to get used to this? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand. Um, but it makes sense because the, the running time of the show, you know, is a month or three yeah. weeks. Why would you hire a resident director for three weeks? Um, mm if we can't keep a show together in three weeks, like what are we doing here? 
So um, there were a lot of things I had to adapt to that were just different and that was okay. But I think when it came to, um, there's a lot of stuff about being like a, a black musical theater actor and uh, skin tone tights and mics and all that stuff. Um, uncomfortable conversations that I never had during Mormon that if it happened here, I'd be like, hey, that's not okay. This isn't okay. Um, these are kind of just like our basic rights as actor is to, mm. you know, have a pair of tights that match my skin tone. It's just a basic right. Um, and uh, I didn't mind doing it because I would, like I worked with my cousin and she would come to my room and be like, well, this happened, but you know what? It's okay. Like, this is how, this is kind of how I think things are run. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I will go, I will go say something because that's not okay. And I don't think that should happen. Or I would hear stories from my friends and they're like, oh yeah, they, will they do this? Like I get a beige mic all the time. And I'm like, but we're not beige. So why would we, no mm. one's beige, honestly. But, um, but why, why are we accepting that? Just, you know, store a bunch of brown mics in your thing. Cause you will always have people of brown skin tone. So just have those accessible. Um, so I might've come in and stirred a bit of trouble that, that might've been where my time, uh, away had affected me a little bit is that I, I didn't start trouble. I just didn't accept things that weren't okay. Um, yeah, I think I'm actually glad that you changed the, the sentence there because it's like, yes, because you were doing what was right. And I think the theater establishment at times might look at that as causing trouble but yeah that's just because they're the theater establishment and they don't want things shaken up mm-hmm. and, and, and it needs yeah. to be it does it's a it's um a conversation i have a lot of like a lot with my friends because i know that they tell me of their experiences where they are fearful of saying things because they want to work again and they um you know they don't want to start trouble in quotation marks and I'm like, I don't, when it comes to you just feeling comfortable as an actor of color, I don't know why um, someone would think that you are causing trouble, but I can see why that's the conversation that they would like title it as. Um, And we have to change that. We have to, it's, it's not okay to be in an environment where you like love what you're doing and this is your life. Um, but there are certain things that you don't feel safe about. And one of them is like talking about things that make you uncomfortable. Like that can't, um, that can't be okay. We can't. No. Yeah, no. The whole like rocking the boat thing, I kind of feel like Mm -hmm. that to me, that started in theater school Mm -hmm. where we spent, I I don't know about you. I was at George Brown college many, 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 many years ago. And we (laughs) spent most of our time there at least I did in fear. Yeah. Fear that I was going to rock the boat and be asked to leave. And like, there's just so much fear involved Mm -hmm. and that's no way to make art, but it taught me lessons ingrained lessons in me that took years to shake about rocking the boat. Yeah. It, um, one thing I actually didn't think I would experience was when I went to Australia the fear culture in theater there is even greater than it is in school. It's just like, if you say something, this company will never hire you again. So never say anything. I 
watched my friends like struggle, even just what they like were getting paid. And they were, they're like, I can, I can't pay my rent, but you know what? I'll like, I have a boyfriend. I think we can make it through. And I would never ask for more and their union wouldn't step up for them. And that was really scary to see. Cause I'm just like, we, for what we do for the fact that we are like the face of your creation and we get up there and we tire our bodies out because we love it for three hours a day. And then we come back and we do the same thing as hard as we possibly can. And especially in Australia, like those, it was mainly the Mormon boys. They work so hard. They were working mm. so hard and they, and for them to feel like they could never say anything, if something was going on, if something felt wrong or off that they were like, Oh, we would never tell our producers. We would never tell the production company. Like they, they will cut you off and they will never hire you again. Like that fear wow. culture of not being hired. Um, it was really upsetting to see. And I was just like, you're like, what's your union doing? They're like, I don't, I don't know. Like our, you know, they don't really have a lot of things to protect us or a lot of ways to protect us. And um, yeah. And it's definitely a musical theater school thing. Um, mm. I, I'm just like flashing back to um, the things that I wanted to do or sing or experience in school and being told like, Oh, well, this is, but this is better for you. Or like you'll audition with, you know, um, this song way more than you'd audition for with this song and me just being like okay mm. yeah yeah totally you know what you're doing and like I have no idea I'm here to learn um my voice is not built yet um which is also a scary thing it's it's uh kids are starting to speak up my little cousin mm. was in she's six years younger than me and she graduated from Sheridan a couple years ago and she was in a year where they really spoke up and they you know um there were some terms that were inappropriate and they would ask, hey, do we really need to say this? Like, is this um, a necessary term to the sentence, to the show? Uh, can we change the words? And they were, they were big on speaking up about it, but at the same time, they're students. And so mm -hmm. they, like, their voices aren't fully formed, but they also know when something's really important to them. And I think for educators to take advantage of the fact that they can mold these students and form their voices for them and not give them the power to make the changes and give them the power to say, no, you tell me who you want to be and I will build you into that person with you. I will work with you to make you this amazing human that you want to be rather than saying, this is what I think you should be and we're going to build you into this. Um, it's, yeah, that is like a huge thing for me is our watching our future being pushed down in different ways and especially now that they're even more vocal i'm just like take mm. that and run with it listen to what they're saying and they're going to be the people that change theater for us they're going to be these students are going to be the, our directors and our actors that are um, creating these much healthier environments for us and we should be supporting them we should not be trying to um, make sure they fit our mold that we had from 1990. Yeah. And it starts, I mean, that, that starts in theater school because, mm -hmm. you know, I remember the whole thing that they said, well, you know, in first year, we will tear you down. And yeah. then in second year, we will build you up. And in 30, we'll make you into an artist. And I always felt like they, they did a really great job of tearing us down. Yeah. And then they missed the other two parts <laughs> because they're like, yeah. they have this vision of this is how we make an artist instead of like, finding out what kind of artist does this person want to be or need to be. Mm -hmm. And that conversation, like to, 
to let you know, because that was the same thing at Sheridan, to let us know that, hey, your first year, it's going to be really hard for you because we're everything you thought you were, everything that great person that you thought you were when you were in high school and you might have been the top at the top, you're not that anymore. And we're going to make mm-hmm. sure that you know that you're you you're starting from the base. So any airs you have about about your talent, we're going to make sure we chop that all down. And then we're going to teach you after that because we can only teach you after that. Um, and yeah, they do, like I don't know. I will say I spent three years. I did a lot of learning and I grew so much and I am 100% like I am appreciative to my program. I, I was not who I am. Uh, like my art was not who, what it was without my mm. training. I was not trained at all. Like I didn't take voice lessons. I didn't take um, acting lessons at all. I learned so much in school. But um, I was shocked, like getting Mormon and knowing that a huge company wanted to hire me and that I had that Mm. talent. Like I didn't know that in school. No one had Mm. built me up to say, you're going to work and you're going to do really great things. And this is like, you'll be fine. We're going to, we're going to continue to build you up and you'll be okay. Like I, when someone wanted to hire me, I'm like, are you sure? Because I've spent this whole time thinking, I couldn't do anything. I spent this whole time thinking I have to work and work and work and change this and change this about myself and quiet this part down and be like this person, this other person that's, you know, getting all these roles. Like these were the examples they were setting. I didn't um, come out of school thinking, oh yeah, I, I can't wait to tear this industry up. I can't wait to get into those dance calls and just like tear the floor up. I was just like, I hope I work. I hope I work. I hope this, you know, I hope I didn't waste this amount of time. Mm. And so getting that call, that's mainly where most of the shock came from was like, Oh, they like, I can do this. They want me to do this thing for them. Um, And that shouldn't, it shouldn't come as such a surprise. It's always good if it's exciting, but it shouldn't be like, it shouldn't have been such a shock for me that someone wanted to hire me and have me work no. because of my And I think, I think that in, in, in theater schools, um, I know that in, when I was in theater school, there was a handful of people who maybe got, can, who maybe got compliments and the rest of us got very little uh, the, of positive <laughs> reinforcement. And I, I often think back and I think like we came out of theater school very broken um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and beaten down. And we had to unlearn so much of the lack of confidence and, and as ourselves as an artist, it took years afterwards. And a lot of people that came out of theater school with me, they didn't last long. Yeah. A bunch of them are like, most of them are still not doing it. And some didn't last long at all because I think that they were too beaten down by the program. Yeah. And you know, the, the theater world, the film, TV, theater, commercial world already tears you down enough. They already, you already get messages back, especially in film and TV with, you know, um, oh, your hair's uh, wrong color or like this part of you isn't correct or this thing you need to fix. And um, in theater, you show up and you go, hey, I hope you love me. And they're like, mm, not today, but thank you so much for showing up. Um, <laughs> we're already torn down. So I think in their heads, honestly, I think part of it, they were like, we're going to show you what the world's like. No one's going to compliment you. No one's going to tell you. Um, that your audition was fantastic, but you're not getting the job. They're just going to have you do the audition and you're going to walk out and you're going to have to um, continue on. But I think continue on knowing that you are worthy of your work and then you have to move on. I think 
that that last part was what was lacking when we came out it it was like oh i have to just keep trying and trying and trying and hope these people like mm -hmm. me but i also should know that like them not choosing me doesn't mean i am no longer worthy of doing my work um yeah. and i think people were just very tired out of out of or out of school they were just very yeah. exhausted from having to pick themselves back up all the time yeah yeah, and I think that there's there's something about the the teaching method uh, that 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 a lot of the teachers had when I was in school, and it sounds like a little bit when you were in school was yeah. was was old. It was it was you know from a different era of of, and it was may have been the way that they were taught, and it's yeah, sort of borderline abusive in some ways. Yeah, I and, even um, yeah yeah sorry, go on. No, you go. Please go ahead. I was just going to say um, that sometimes occurs not just in schools, but also with directors, um, which I think is kind of an obvious link to that. But they they experienced a certain thing when they were a dancer being a, like when they were growing up uh, and in this industry. And so they show up with like the same kind of push, pull attitude um, I'm going to give you love, but I'm also going to let you know that you're not great when you're not great and it's going to hurt, but you'll get over it like that same vibe. And I think what we're missing is this is how I learned. These are the things that were not helpful, helpful to me. And I'm going to change those things so that the people that I'm teaching or the people that I'm directing don't feel the way I did instead of being like, Oh, I'm going to put you what I put myself through because I got, or what I was put through because I got through it and I'm stronger because yeah. of it. And you'll also, it's kind of like, it's a parenting thing. Like it's a, when parents uh, parent the way they were parented because yes. uh, they're like, I came out of it strong. So you'll be fine. I'm going to parent you the same way. It's like, no, how about you take what you really hated from parenting from getting parented and go, okay, how can I change this so I don't repeat this and my child isn't um, experiencing the same thing that I had to struggle through when I was growing up? Uh, I don't know if people take that time. And I think especially right now, um, the faculties, like, they're bringing in more new people, but I think we there needs to be work done on uh, having like the head of all the faculties just stay the same for 35 years. Like I, I uh, unless they're doing learning themselves, unless they are continuing to show up and learn what has changed in our theater world, um, they're going to teach us what they know from when they were experiencing theater. And we're going to come out into the world with a completely different like knowledge of what's happening. Um, and we need we need more eyes. We need more voices. We need more minds in our faculties to um, keep things just like healthy and current and good for our students right now. Yeah, and just because somebody has been in the role of the head of acting or uh, uh, even artistic director for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that the work that they're doing is is fresh or that mm -hmm. they like. You need new people new ideas in all of those positions to to keep things healthy and uh especially with when you're shaping young minds like uh, people who come out of school and go into theater school today 
are coming out of a school system that was different than 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 when I was in school. Yeah. And they they can't be taught the same way that somebody was taught in the 70s or the 80s. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely um I think the fear of change and the fear of um these new people coming up that just want to come and like destroy your systems, that's not really what's happening. Um, yeah. but that's what being, that's what's perceived as happening. And I have so many, like my cousin, um, my cousin, Sierra Holder that I love so much. She is a voice of change. She, mm. it's funny that she doesn't work to be in the sense that she doesn't put herself in the forefront of all the conversations. But when someone asks to have a conversation with her, the things that she says, like she, I feel like she's wiser than I am. And I always look to her for things. Mm. Um, she is one of those young voices of change that um, people want to like push away immediately. Like oh, like the um, the people that have been in the business for a really long time, they want to push that away because they're like, "You're someone new who thinks you know you think you know what's what. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what this business is like." And she's like, "Yeah, but I I see what people have gone through. I see what you know. I have experienced specifically. Her older cousin has experienced, and um, and I know the things that I do not want to experience as I continue through theater, and what I don't want younger generations to have to go through. Um, and I'm not coming at it to take your job. I'm not coming at it to ruin your systems. I'm just saying this is these are the things that we can do to make this." culture the theater culture better because mm. i i will say that my time off in COVID, like during the COVID period um i'm sure a lot of people have been saying like is this what i want to do is this like if this happens again this is terrifying this whole period of yeah. not working and when will my job ever be safe and available again and i i didn't have the conversation of is theater what i want to do because i know i love it i know that like mm -hmm. point blank but I started to see things that I accepted as just facts and reality that uh, that actually kind of hurt and actually like didn't feel great. Uh, one of those things being um, actors like we're not bottom of the the rung. We're not really, but we're the last ones to know anything, and we're the first ones to like be let go when something happens. Mm. We're uh, if you think of film, TV, commercial auditions you find out that you have an audition, a self-tape that's due in 24 hours. And I know this will not change anytime soon, but mm. my mind is just like, you just found out you needed someone for this movie today at three o'clock and you need to tape by tomorrow at 10 a.m. That's not, I know that's not the truth. I know that yeah. you've had this brief for maybe a week and you're just like, okay, but if you want the job, you will do it in the time that I give you or else we will find someone else. And that, uh, the the value that I feel like the system has like that we are in the system is really hard to come to terms with and I have been having big conversations about it during COVID because I've just been like with all these self-tapes that have been requested of me um I it's just insane to me that uh that we are so low <laughs> and so valued so little and that our voices as much as they're like, we want to hear from you and tell us what you want and da 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 da. And we are, I say again, we're like the 
in theater, we are what you see on stage. We are the, um, the vehicles of your work. Um, we are also the first ones to be let go in any, like in the pandemic, we were the first ones out. Mm -hmm. We are the last ones to find out what's happening because mm -hmm. everybody else has to find out first. And then they're like, okay, let's tell, you know, the talent. Um, and that's a really difficult thing to change because the conversation is if we, if you don't want to do it, we will find someone else. If you don't think it's okay, if you struggle with this, there is another one of you. And yeah, that value that someone has placed on you when you think I, I am the only one that is like myself. And that's what I bring into the room. That's what you're told to also believe. Like I, you are the only person that has your voice, your danceability, your acting chops, your look, all of that. You're supposed to come into the room and you bring that in. And then for someone to think, yeah, but if you don't want to do it, we'll get this person over here because that's fine. You can just sub that in. Yeah. Like that's such a uh, back and forth. That's really hard to, um, to get a hold on. Absolutely. Uh, Camille, as we uh, wind down, one of the questions that I've been asking everybody since the pandemic and everything started is mm -hmm. what has been giving you joy that gets mm -hmm. you through the day? So what has been giving you joy every day? Oh, I have gotten back into my books. I love mm -hmm. reading. I love stories. Um, I love living in a different world for, you know, an hour or two hours a day. And I'm reading a lot less now because I've started um, working again and just getting a little bit busy busier. But when I was like the first four months, I would wake up, I would read for an hour, I would work out and have my breakfast. And then I would read for another hour. I wasn't even watching like Netflix and HBO and all that stuff that much. I was just diving into books. I, um, I'm halfway through the Game of Thrones series. I love Game of Thrones. I'm in the Harry Potter series. I'm reading mm. a lot of black author books, which um, mm. is huge for me. A lot of Toni Morrison and uh, Tanahisi Coates and just like jumping into people's stories. And that honestly, it just makes me smile. I'm smiling talking about it. Like I, I love mm. books. I love reading and I am. Um, I'm really glad that I've had this time to come back to that because, you know, when you have a 10 to, 10 to 6 day, I'm waking up, I'm walking my dog, I'm eating breakfast and I'm out the door and I come home yeah. and I'm making dinner and I'm going to bed. Um, I'm not, I might read for 30 minutes, but I was reading like three books a day. I was, I mm. like, I would have three books that I would read for two weeks. Um, that's how much I loved it. Nice. Yeah. Camille, thank you so much. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. I've had a great time. This has been a Homebody Productions production.